Uh, let me pray for us before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day to come and worship you. We thank you for um, your word, and we pray that you would help us as we study uh, today ingratitude and the danger of ingratitude, that you would uh, sober our hearts at the nature of sin, and that we would uh, repent of it and uh, seek you, Lord. Uh, in Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. So last week we were talking about the fruits of gratitude. Today we'll be talking about the danger of ingratitude, and we'll see how ingratitude is a perilous position before God. Um, just to situate us, next week we'll be talking about gratitude in action, uh, and then after that we'll be talking about gratitude as it relates to contentment. Uh, but today we're talking about ingratitude. Um, so to study ingratitude, we can kind of start by just recapping what do we know about gratitude and then invert it. So pop quiz, right? Gratitude is, let's go through the chapters. What was the first thing we learned? Gratitude is right. So therefore, ingratitude is wrong. wrong. Very good. Gratitude is wise. wise. So therefore, ingratitude is foolish, unwise. That's right. Um, last week, gratitude is fruitful. Fruitful. So uh, ingratitude is unfruitful, right? What kinds of fruits did we hear about last week that can come from gratitude? Happiness, so ingratitude would, would result in sadness or unhappiness, right? Uh, we learned that uh, gratitude can result in delight in God. So if we invert that, ingratitude would result in delight in self, right? Um, one of the key fruits of gratitude was that it would result in Godward orientation. So ingratitude would lead us to a selfward orientation. Uh, we already said joy, happiness versus misery. Um, gratitude will give us a sort of proper situation of our, of our soul, proper humility, whereas ingratitude will lead us to entitlement and arrogance. Um, there was a quote that, about gratitude, right, and, and in terms of its, how, how it's fruitful to us, and the quote was that gratitude is a vital indicator of our soul's health and a powerful defender of our soul's happiness, right? So that's a, that's a positive feedback loop. The more we're grateful, the more we're oriented towards God, and the more we're oriented toward God, the more that we're grateful, and so on and so forth. Well, I, I like to think of that as that's a, gratitude is both a cause and a consequence of our Godward orientation. In the same way, ingratitude forms a feedback loop. It is a cause and a consequence of our selfward orientation. So the more we're ungrateful, the more we're focusing inward. And the more we're focusing inward, the less we're focusing on God, and so the more ungrateful we become. Right? That's a dangerous, that's a dangerous feedback loop. Right? That's not the loop you want to be in. We used the example last week in talking about gratitude as sort of the indicator and the uh, effector of, of oil in the car, right? It's vital to the car's health, but you can also uh, sort of assess How's the engine doing by looking at, you know, checking your oil level, making sure that you know, your oil pressure is good, that sort of thing. Um, some of you may know how uh, 
about my first car, Sebastian, and how it died. Um, <laughs> there, it's, I can't, can't remember whether I was neglecting the oil changes for too long or whether there was a small leak. Uh, whatever the case, at some point the uh, low engine oil light came on the dashboard. Right? And that is not a good light. But, uh, and I, I knew that. And I knew, okay, I, as soon as I get home, I need to, I need to you know, grab some oil from the garage and, and at least top this thing off. And then you know, before I do anything further, then I'll do a proper oil change. But I can't keep driving this, this way, right? Well, didn't have any, didn't have any oil in the garage. Uh, so it's like, well, next, next errand I go out. I'll, I'll pick some up at the store. Uh, next errand, oh, that store didn't have any engine oil. So didn't get any that time. One day rolled by, two days rolled by, three days, four days without me topping off the oil. And I remember it was a Saturday night, and um, I'd, I'd purposed, I'm definitely going to pick up the oil on the way home. And, and I, this whole time, I'd been really careful. I, was, I wouldn't drive very far. I knew I couldn't drive very far this way. Um, and then it was late, and the store was closed, and I couldn't pick up any oil. And I had to go to church the next morning. And at the time, we were living in Kennesaw. And I thought, you know what? I've made it this far, right? I, I've made it this, this long with, without topping it off. I can do one more drive to church, 45 minute drive, 285, 20, and Sunday morning, driving down I-20 East, knock, 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 engine dies, pull off the shoulder, sort of desperately try to restart the car, before I finally come to the realization that I've killed my car, right? And it was, I realized too late that it had been in a perilous situation. That indicator was an indicator that this thing that's vital to the health of the car wasn't there. And I was ignoring it. And I was treating it like it was just another check engine light, right? So I, I tell that story because even though we've just gone through what are all the merits of gratitude, and then flip those over and said, okay, what are all the you know, demerits of, of ingratitude, we still tend to think about ingratitude like a bad habit and, and nothing more. And we ignore the warning lights on the dashboard that are screaming, danger, danger, danger. Your car is going to die. You won't fix it. This is not. This is not a. Your fuel cap's loose. You know, reset the code. This is. This is the critical to the life of your car. So. Why, is ingratitude so, dangerous? Well, fundamentally, it's because we're no longer Godward oriented. We're not near to God. So let let's explore that a little further. Let's look at some some uh, scripture. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Romans 1 and uh, verse 18 and following. Romans 1.18 reads, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And it, it goes on, right? God gave them up to dishonorable passions uh, and, and we see just the, the filth that the people would engage in as a consequence of that behavior. I think we see here that, I, that ingratitude is effectively equated with idolatry. And it leads to first the darkened minds, and then foolishness, and then impurity, and then the foulest of sins. That is a perilous state. We, we can't live like that. We, we, we ought to tremble at the idea of being in that state before God or at the idea of being in the first stage of a state that would lead to that outcome. So we hear about you know, the, the, the sin that God gives them over to, but what will become of those who, as it says, worship the creature rather than the creator? We'll flip over to Jude 15. It's the one that's really hard to flip to. You have to just flip to Revelation and start flipping back. Uh, in Jude, verse, uh, actually the end of verse 14, he um, says, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. In other words, they're ungrateful. And God will give them over to destruction and judgment. And notice they're called four times ungodly ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. So ingratitude is a dangerous and perilous state because it is ungodly, and it is separating us from God. You can also see this judgment uh, in in Deuteronomy 8. It's the last one I'll have you flip to for a little bit. In Deuteronomy 8, we are seeing the section about the command to remember the Lord your God. God is rehearsing his kindness to his people. He's telling them about the care he's given them in the, in the wilderness, the manna, the clothing. Um, he said that he keeps them and disciplines them, watches over them, um, and he warns them, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. That's verse 11. Um, well, let's start there. So verse 11, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply 
and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. I think we see here that gratitude is or leads to forgetting God and then almost immediately to idolatry, right? He warns them, don't forget me, lest you then say, it was me. I did all this stuff. All the things that we rehearsed in, you know, the, talking about how gratitude is right and we went over all the ways that God is good and all the blessings he's given to us, all those things, if we forget God, we'll start to say, that was me. I did that. I got that for myself. And that's idolatry. And the end of idolatry is the Lord says, you will surely perish. So that ingratitude is a situating of our hearts against God. And he tells us, you will surely perish. That is a perilous state. Um, We've got a little bit of time. Just I'll reference some other verses about this. Um, in... These are mostly verses that we l- we've looked at in past, in past uh, uh, weeks. Uh, we, we talked about Philippians 4, 4 and 7. Uh, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a promise there that if we are letting our requests be made known to God with thanksgiving, then we will have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if we are ungrateful, and we are not bringing everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, then what will we lack? We'll lack the peace of God, and our hearts and minds won't be guarded. Similarly, we looked uh, recently at, at 2 Corinthians 9, where we hear about how that thanksgiving that we have when we are uh, giving to the Lord and to the church uh, is actually used to encourage one another and to sort of push the gospel forward and to spread the gospel. And so if we are not grateful in that way, we are hampering our witness and the spread of the gospel. Um, in, in 2 Timothy 3, uh, we hear about all manner of ungodly people. He describes uh, people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, and he goes on and on. And he says, avoid such people. And then a few verses down in verse 8, he describes that uh, these men, all those horrible things, including the ungrateful, also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. So, again, the ungrateful heart is listed amongst the 
those who are opposing truth, opposing God. That's a perilous state. It's a, it's a dangerous state. Uh, in Ephesians uh, 4, or excuse me, Ephesians 5, in verse 4, we had heard about how Thanksgiving was the alternative to what? Does anyone remember? He says, let there not be, let there be no filthiness or crude joking or foolish talk, but instead let there be thanksgiving, right? So the alternative to a thankful heart and to mouth expressing thanksgiving is crude speech, filthy speech. So, you know, let us not think we can sit in the middle, right? If we are rejecting God's command to be thankful, then we will embrace crude talk, foolish talk instead. Um, Psalm 30, I think, which we looked at last week, um, we saw how David was just delighting in the Lord. And there was this almost this like, uh, again, that, that feedback loop of, right, as, as he kept delighting in the Lord over the particular situation, his delight and, and worship and awe of God just abounded, right? If we are not grateful in that way over those small things, those individual circumstances, then we won't enter into that sort of feedback loop, that, that, that circular effect, if you will, and get that and reap that, that blessing of, of ultimate delight in God and Godward orientation. So how, how does this happen, right? How can ingratitude result in all of these things and be so disastrous? Well, gratitude is effectively a full-time job. You, you can't fence it. The, the author of our book says that all a person has to do to be ungrateful is nothing. It's kind of like driving a car. The minute you stop driving the car is the minute you drive into the ditch. You can't sit in between driving the car and not driving the car. If the car is moving and it's on the road, you have to be driving it. Um, in, in Japan, the, the train operators, they practice this thing called uh, shisha kanko or, or point and call. And what they do is any operation they're doing, whether they're the driver of the train or whether they're sort of the attendant at the doors, Everything they do, before and after they do it, they point at the corresponding thing and they describe it in some way. So as they're slowing down, they might say, such and such station, zero speed, and then point at the timetable and say, you know, on time. Or as they're getting ready to take off, you know, brakes released, you know, signal clear, accelerating. And there's no one there. It's just them. Does anyone know why they do that? To stay mindful so they don't miss anything. That's right. It's so that they won't start thinking about or focusing on something else. Thankfulness is like that. It can orient us towards God. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, um, maybe this has happened to y'all, where there have been times where I've been either praying or, or meditating on God's goodness in some way and, and just feeling very thankful to the Lord. And what, what sometimes will happen is a maybe a a recurring sin or, or a, a bad sinful habit, the temptation to engage in that will, will pop up in that moment. And unlike normal, even the sort of simplest of bad habits of sins will suddenly seem so repulsive because I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude to, to God that even the, the simplest of bad habits that I would have otherwise engaged in, I'm like, how can I do that? But what happens is, if I haven't fully replaced that bad habit with a habit of gratitude, what happens 10 minutes later when I'm done praying? 
go right back to it, right? Like, like a dog to the vomit. So the minute that we stop focusing on God is the minute we start focusing on ourselves. There's no in-between state. And we'll forget God and become entitled and idolatrous. And this is a perilous state. So by way of both uh, warning and encouragement, uh, let's look at some, some biblical examples of people failing to be grateful. Can anyone think of any examples? There's, there's numerous ones, but... Remind me that story. So, this was Abigail something who David had done this right. to him. And it seems like David was entitled to some sort of at least gratitude, like the mm. fact that he's at the vineyard, and the tree's like, no, you get on my case. And his wife sees the stupidity of his ways and intervenes and both saves her husband's life <laughs> and saves David from sin. So that in that situation, that ingratitude, if it hadn't been interrupted, would have been disastrous. Right? Uzziah. What? King Uzziah bringing the offering to the temple. Yes. There's that sense of entitlement, right? What else? The ungrateful servant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Funny enough, I didn't actually have that one written down, but I had thought about it. Um, that's a, of course, right? That's a great one because, I mean, what, what, and what is, what is the consequence in that story? So, you know, the king, you know, forgives him this giant debt. He'd never be able to pay. Um, I was listening, actually, uh, R.C.'s Pearl, I think, described that the amount of, the size of the debt was like, 10 times the amount of money in circulation in Herod's kingdom at the time. So we're like, we, we sort of translate it to millions of dollars, and we're like, oh, it was like $100 million. Like, but we know about billionaires today. Well, there was nobody with that much money at that time. Right? So this huge debt gets forgiven, and he goes out and shakes down his buddy for the, you know, like five bucks or whatever it was. And so then what happens? Yeah. yeah. That's right. That is a perilous state. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that because it's the point. But that's, that ingratitude is dangerous. I mean, I would say the whole nation of Israel were ungrateful. Mm-hmm. You because know, they, they had so much given to them. The prophets, the, and Paul even says that. My people were given the prophets, you know, the temple. God was with them in a special way. All these prophecies, the Savior would come from them. And yet when Jesus came, they, were, they crucified him. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, Exactly. Israel is repeatedly ungrateful, and the consequences are pretty obvious. Right? They're sent to, you know, to exile. They're constantly visited by, you know, destruction and ju- judgment, and they've got terrible kings. Um, there's a particular example we could look at in, in Numbers 21, um, where the people are grumbling to Moses. And they say, uh, 21.5, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. That's, that's ingratitude. And God visits it with destruction. Now we know, end of the story, right, is that he, he doesn't leave them in that state. He sends a savior. And we'll come back to that. But that ingratitude is, it's not, 
it's not just a, it's not just impolite. It's not just a bad bad social etiquette. It's not just a bad habit. It is a perilous state. I thought also about um, uh, Luke 17. We talked about that last time. The the, the ten lepers. Um, does anyone remember what Jesus says to the, the, the thankful one, the one that comes back and, and thanks him and praises him? He says, where are the other nine? And then what does he say to that one? Yeah, he, says, he says, go, your, your faith has made you well. So we learn that guy had faith in his thankfulness. And we also learn that that faith gave him, sort of like, why would he say that? Like everyone had been made well. Well, he's obviously talking beyond just the physical healing. So this guy's gratitude was sort of rolled into his faith, and that gave him, you know, greater healing. So what can we infer about those who didn't come back in gratitude? Yeah, they might have been healed of the leprosy here on earth, but you know, we, don't, we don't know what happened to them. But from the story, we know at least at that time they did not have faith, and they had not been healed of their greater disease. So that's, you know, that's the... The, the outcome for the un- ungrateful. There's also um, in Second in Chronicles 32:25 we hear it's a very short blip, but about how uh, Hezekiah um, he became sick and was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. In other words, he was ungrateful. He didn't thank God for healing him, uh, for his heart was proud. And we see that feedback loop, right? That self-word orientation, that arrogance led to ingratitude. And then that ingratitude led to the next part of the verse, therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. And once in verse 26, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, then the wrath of the Lord pulls back his wrath. So there's that you know, union between that ingratitude and arrogance and pride. Well, sort of a kind of a capstone example. Let's look at Second Samuel. Turn here. We'll kind of be flipping through this, starting in, and kind of roughly start in chapter five. I'm not going to read a lot of it. I'm just kind of kind of highlight and flip through. So in 2 Samuel 5, we've got King David, or David is anointed king of Israel. So he becomes king, and all this great stuff. He gets, you know, cedars from Lebanon. All these people are, you know, yay, you're the king. Give him lots of great stuff. Um, then end of, end of chapter 5, he defeats the Philistines. Uh, he, you know, he goes out and he, he conquers them, and then... We've got, in, in chapter, flipping over to chapter 7, uh, David's sort of considering all of his blessing, and he's got this heart postured with gratitude and thankfulness. And he realizes, I, I'm living in this great house, and the Lord's living in a tent. This isn't right. And so he says, God, I want to build you a temple. And Nathan's like, yeah, that sounds good. It's probably a good idea. And then God comes back and tells Nathan, go tell David, No. I, I'm going to keep blessing you more. And he says, I, I will make you a house. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And, and then he says, 
your throne shall be established forever. Right? So this is a wonderful covenant and promise with David and with David's line. And then what's David's response down in verse 18? He prays this wonderful, beautiful prayer of gratitude. And if, if you just skim through it in, in, in my uh, copy of God's Word, I've just got all the times that he says, Oh, Lord God, oh, Lord God, oh, Lord God, kind of underlined. Um, he's, he's overwhelmed with gratitude for everything the Lord has done for him. And he says in, in verse 19, well, actually I'll start in 18. Uh, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet... This was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. There was, David knows that wasn't a small thing. You know, he's, he was a nobody, and he's been made king. He's been given all this blessing. He's conquered all, their, all his enemies. But to God, that was a small thing. And, and he continues to recount all of the other wonderful things that God is going to do for him and, and has done for him. And then after that, he goes out and he defeats more enemies. He's victorious in chapter 8 against Philistines again, and then in the end of uh, chapter 8, we see in verse 15 that David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people, so that sort of correct orientation of his heart, right, he's, he's ruling rightly. And then in chapter 9, we see about his kindness to Mephibosheth, right, he's sort of overflowing God's grace and mercy to him, and his gratitude back has oriented him correctly to then pour out kindness and mercy and love to, uh, you know, to others. And then in chapter 10, we see more defeat, more victory of his enemies with a slight, slight change. This time, it doesn't say that David went out. It says that he sent Joab. I'm like, okay, no big deal, right? But then in chapter 11, verse 1, we read, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So something's changed. Something in David's heart has changed where he doesn't think he needs to do his job anymore. And he's not going out to war. And what's he doing? He's just relaxing on the roof while, quote, all Israel went out to battle. And we know what happens next. He devolves into sin after sin after sin. And something I hadn't thought about until looking over this was how he's in that sin for probably around nine months, as far as we can tell without repentance. Because it's not until after the child is born that, that Nathan comes to him. So that's nine months of just rebellion against God. And... You know, you might wonder, okay, why am I bringing this up and talking about ingratitude? We, we saw that David was grateful. Well, let's look at chapter 12 and see how Nathan describes what's going on in David's heart. You know, first he gives him the parable, right, of the, the guy who stole the sheep, the rich man who steals the sheep from the poor man. And David's like, that guy needs to die. That's terrible. And then David says, you are the man, in verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And then stab, right? Call back to David's line. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. 
In other words, you know it wasn't too little. You said so yourself, right? You knew how, how much I'd done for you. And yet, even if you somehow still thought this wasn't enough, I had promised to do even more for you. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? We see that David, King David, was ultimately ungrateful. He had, he had been grateful, but he had slipped, and he'd become prideful and lazy. He had become entitled, thinking, I can just send people to do this war for me. He had abdicated his duty, and that had led him to terrible, terrible sin. Because, and, and really we see this described as, this ingratitude is described as despising the word of the Lord. Again, that is, that is not a bad habit, bad social etiquette, impolite, something you can work on if you have time. That is perilous state. And what are the consequences? Well, first of all, you know, the consequences of the sin itself, right? And that, that yucky situation he was in with his heart for nine months, not, not being with the Lord. Um, I think it was Matthew Henry who describes it. David's heart probably wasn't in tune for those nine months. He probably wasn't writing any psalms. He was far from God. That's bad enough in and of itself. But then we, of course, you know, uh, Uriah dies. You know, the innocent bystanders die. Um, the baby dies, his judgment. And then the Lord visits his house with judgment and says, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So, even though God has promised eternal blessing upon his house, that sin of ingratitude and the consequent sins resulted in, you know, a long-standing judgment against his house as well. Right? The sword shall never leave your house. And what do we know about the rest of the Davidic line for a long, long time? It's terrible. There's like no good kings until ultimately the true king comes. And if we can look quickly at Psalm 52, this is the Psalm David writes after he's been visited by Nathan the prophet. We don't have time to read the whole Psalm, um, or sorry, I wrote 52, it's 51. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So that's how David describes, you know, not just the obvious sins of adultery and, and murder, but, but his ingratitude. Um... And, and we see that, you know, in verse 8, when he, he, he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He wants to be joyful again, right? But, but he, he can't until God restores him. And verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And what do we know happens? He does. God gives him, God restores him. And he gives him a new child, right? Solomon, as a, actually it's Jedediah, and then, and then later Solomon, but he, he gives him a, a blessing, right? 
as a result of, of David's repentance. And so we see that the sword affecting David's line does not override the promise that your throne will be established forever. So the remedy for our ingratitude is to seek the Lord while he may be found and, and to repent and to lean on his mercies. And he will fulfill his promise that he will, his throne will be established forever and that King Jesus is reigning and he will, he will crush that sin if we come to him. Any other thoughts or comments? Dresses himself and goes back. And he goes and lays with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Look out of this mess, but the Lord blessed that. Right. <laughs> my, my brain is like, what? And then he has a child, and it says the Lord loved him. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to me the way the Lord strives with his people. He continues with us, and he walks with us <coughs> um, in the midst of our ingratitude and our sins and our blindness. Yeah. And he just keeps on loving his people. He's so gracious. That's right. No amount of our ingratitude moves God away from us. It's us withdrawing from him, right? But it's, I, I've used the example before, you know, if we're in God's hand and we're running away from him, it's kind of like us running circles around in the hand, right? It's like we, maybe we got a micro inch further away, but he's still right there and we're not going anywhere. We can't. Our, no, no amount of our ingratitude can, can push God away. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, John, would you mind praying for sure.